celebrities started coming. Shaggy, Sean Head, Biggie came in. He was this little kid. I used to see him at Washington Avenue coming out the train station. He'd be out there with his crew. I had an Eric B. and Rakim shirt in the window that we airbrushed. And he came in and, and struck up a conversation. And the rest was history. You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life with the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant and executive coach and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And in this episode, we have April Walker. I am so, I can't, oh. April, April, April Walker. Listen, this woman is a legend. She really is. And I was so excited to get the opportunity to sit down with her in Brooklyn to talk to her about her work, how she got started. And, you know, she really is a game changer and she was one of the trailblazers that inspired streetwear you know as a fashion and lifestyle kind of those the the fact that we're running around in hoodies and you know low what do you call it low crutch jeans and (laughs) just that hip-hop style the street style that we wear every single day you know April Walker had a big hand in that and I just so excited to sit down with her. It was also like an opportunity to really reminisce and take me back to a time in the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s. It was like a whole space that existed around that time. And I was living in London, but, you know, I had my first trip to the States was just it was there was so much there lessons around business and growing your business and there was so much in our interview that guess what it's not only this week's episode but it's going to be next week's episode as well it's part one this week and then part two next week because it was so rich there were so many um walker gems in there that you just can't cut it out you can't just leave it on the in the computer you know in the file without sharing it it was just so good so that's who we've got this week I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her in a minute well I don't know if I need to say any more actually you know but just if you if you're okay if you're sitting there thinking who's April Walker actually let me just tell you a bit more now you can hear my excitement because you know her brand was one of the first brands to kind of implement the product placement approach. And she secured celebrity endorsements from people like Tupac, um, Notorious B.I.G. to Beavis and Butthead, Shaggy. You know, the brand was one of the first, like, chain store distributions for streetwear and commanded millions in sales. I mean, millions. And remember... We're talking about the 90s and she was young at the time, you know, offering fashion and function. She had this brand called Fashion in Effect, you know, as well as Walkerwear. That was Fashion in Effect and then she developed Walkerwear. And so we're going to hear like how it came about, 
and how it grew who are the people that she worked with how does she work with them she continues to have walk aware and that's available she has these workshops that she does for young entrepreneurs called build your own brand and she's committed to mentoring people as well she does really great great work and she's also got a book out called get your ass off the couch some walker gems in there so i there's i i can't tell you you can hear my excitement you can hear what that there's so much in the interview you know you're going to want to listen and re-listen to it and you can hear that what happens when you know things that we live with today like just discovering where does it come from where does it source from and and really you know the the early the early adopters the early innovators the people who are really thinking thinking from or getting the, from their ideas to to actual reality and what that gives us 30 years later still going strong and and that we are still benefiting from the hard work uh, that was done back 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 in the day so I can't wait for you to kind of hear um, the Walker Gems and 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 us spend some time with April before we go to the interview um, I want to give a shout out to everyone who gets in contact with me on Instagram and sends me messages and and lets me know how the um, podcast is impacting them and influencing them and really enabling them to maybe think differently about their life and how they're doing it or you know when you share with me you know, the difference that it's making and what you do with the, <laughs> the information that either I provide on the solo episodes or when you what you hear from the the interviews with those wonderful women that I have on the show. So I just you know that it makes a difference to me, know that it keeps us going, know that it inspires me to keep bringing, wanting to bring, you know, really amazing women to you. And uh, and me thinking about what is it that I can provide you as well with the things that I know and the work that I've done with so many people around their development and having the life that they want. So thank you, thank you, thank you for keep being in touch, keep sending me messages, keep putting reviews, please head over to the iTunes and rate and review the show. It makes so much difference to grow in the show that's what people look at. They want to know what's this show about and they read the reviews and the rate and the rating. So please, you know, continue to do that. And um and the other thing is share. She's got drive. Find someone in your life, press that share button and then send it to them. Send it to them in a text and say, Why don't you listen to this episode and see what happens? Yeah, what do you think? because uh, it it that's how it's going to grow it's going to grow through sharing the show okay so without further ado 
I'm going to hand us over to April Walker. You know, so here's the interview with April. Thank you so much for being a guest on She's Got Drive. My pleasure, my pleasure. I'm happy to be a guest here. I feel very privileged. I can't imagine, you know, like when I was saw you in Essence and I was, you were on the panel and at Fashion House and I was sitting there, I was like, I've got to interview April Walker. <laughs> so to be here is... We made it just, happen. We made it happen and I just feel so privileged. So thank you so much because... Yeah, Thank you're you. a legend, man. You, Thank you. You really, really are. And I'm so. excited to share. I have a brand called Walkerwear. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. online and we do pop-up experiences around the world. Um, lately, we've been in the United States. We, we have done them in Berlin and other places. But uh, we just finished Envision Fest, which mm-hmm. was really cool because there were a lot of young women that were there and now they know about the brand and our theme was the future been female right which it has Mm -hmm. you know so we got to speak about it and and kind of storytell and share why we feel that way so it was really cool just to interact with so many young women that and you know what I have a lot of hope for the future because they were coming to our booth like what does your brand represent and what are you doing for the world and who are you? Nice. You know, those were the kind of questions, right. you know. And yes. I'm like, wow, they're thinking past just consumer buying, but like being responsible about how are you being socially ethical and what are you doing? You know, all of these things that I think were really cool questions that yeah. we didn't ask. I basically, to answer your question, I'm a lifestyle entrepreneur. I am a brand evangelist. I am a health and wellness junkie mind body and soul fitness i believe they're in unison they're a vertical aligned experience Mm -hmm. and i am a serial entrepreneur i love creating and taking things from ideation to creation i also am an author i wrote a book called walker gems get your ass off the couch (laughs) (laughs) which is all about the journey and sharing and imparting some of my experience and some of my life lessons through success and failure, mm-hmm. and then some of the tools and, and um, exercises that have helped me along the way, sharing that, as well as I do some workshops. I do a lot of work with young people and startups, so I have something called BYOB, which is be your own brand and build mm-hmm. your own brand, and I implement them um, in school settings, universities, and then some private works as well. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. I have a exhibit going on now, or an exhibit that's happening in Brooklyn called Photoville, which you said 30 years and it has been, and it's a visual exploration of my 30 years and walk in fashion mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. So it's exciting because it's under the Brooklyn Bridge and it's the biggest outside photo exhibit in New York. It happens once a year, but just to be in my own borough and see it, right. you know, right under the bridge, that's right. like surreal for me. So yeah, and you stayed in Brooklyn throughout those that time, right? I been- I always I always kept my place in Brooklyn. I've right. lived in LA and in Las Vegas and Philadelphia and other places, but I never left Brooklyn. Your heart's here. Your heart's here. Yeah. Let's start with why the future's been female for you. Why do you say that? Wow, well, because if we look at 
history or history, mm-hmm. you know, women have been at the forefront of a change, you know, when we we look at it. I mean, we might not always get the shine. Mm-hmm. There's always women that are in the trenches, strong women, right. and they continue to be strong women. I think that, you know, um, I think about my great-grandmother, you know, and her being like a guiding light for us all. And she she was the first woman I, I knew that, you know, could do it all and do it well. Right. 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and she was up and she would be, you would, you would smell, I would go to, she lived in Pittsburgh, so I would spend the summers in Pittsburgh, and I would smell the coffee, like, and I'm like, how is she up so early as a kid, you know what I mean, it was impossible to think about, but she got her day started early, and it was just amazing, like, I'm like, how does she do all of that in a day, you know, and I mean, everything was fresh. She had a garden. She cooked dinner, and she was making sure everybody was fine. She always did it with a smile. I've never heard her complain. Never, ever, ever. And she had. She owned her house. She owned her car. She she, she taught you about debt and credit and not owing. You know what I mean? Right. Very early. Like these are the concepts that when I look back, and then. It was carried on, but it was also through watching others, you know, whether it was Rosa Parks or Sarah Vaughn or Billie Holiday mm-hmm. or, you know, Angela Davis. We have so many yeah, fearless, so many. you know, people. Frida Kahlo, you know, it's it's just like a lot of magic. Right, right. In the veins. When you talk about your, gra- your grandmother, I'm wondering how much of her influence you being an entrepreneur based on kind of what you've just shared about her and how that you know how that influenced you making the choices that you made at a very young age yeah everyone else was trodding a more traditional path definitely I think that I didn't know it at the time but like when I look at pictures when I was young and they had a general store you know um very early on we had a place in Culpeper, Virginia. Shout out to the shout out to the Southerners. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we would go and travel down there, and 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 her father built that house. Right. You know what I mean. So you saw land, and you saw a lot, and she was very proud to let you know every stone, every brick, every mm-hmm. this came from us. You know what I mean. And then they had a general store, and then when we moved to Pittsburgh, when they moved to Pittsburgh, they had a store. You know, and then um, so I've come from that a family of um, entrepreneurs. My father and my grandfather were more on the creative side. So they basically did all of this work where they basically just danced to their own beat by following their passion. And that was music. Mm. And then my sister took that up as well. So, you know, I come from a family of creators, makers and creators. Mm -hmm. And so I think I caught that bug. I didn't know I would catch it. But I did know by high school I didn't want to work for someone else. And, you know, and fashion found me. 
So when you when you say that you knew that you didn't want to work for someone else, because whilst everyone's kind of been directed in a particular way, what what was it at that time that had you say it no like a knowing in yourself or that had you have some kind of confidence to say I'm not doing that I'm doing this as fashion like found you what is it in you that then says I'm not gonna do that because that's so young it was and you know what I don't remember it to be honest I just you know how I know because at one point people would we were doing interviews and they did a piece on me and they were asking people from my childhood about me and qualities. And one of my really good friends that I went to high school with said that she came to meet me. I was in a a part-time job. I was 16 or 17. And she said that I came outside and I said, I'm not going to be able to do this. And she said, what? And to work for someone else I'm not going to be doing that that's not what I'm going to do with my life you know and so just that thought process was Mm -hmm. like I don't remember it but she said it she was so clear and so absolute about it that I was like wow and I don't remember it but I know she's not making it up so it was just like and you know how you look back on things and you're like, wow, that w- I was clear about that that young. You yeah. know what I mean? But I didn't know yeah. what it would be. Yeah. And then there's a difference between that kind of having a sense of that and being a sense of um, a confidence enough to then to keep going with that. You know, sometimes we have thoughts about what we should do mm-hmm. or want to do. And then there's another there's a whole thing about right. whether we actually do it. follow through and do it, but you did. So you said that fashion found you. Mm-hmm. How did it find you? So I, I love to, to, I was in college and I was, I, I love to go out. I used to go to the Apollo theater, mm-hmm. amateur night. And one <laughs> night I went to visit Dapper Dan and this is in the eighties and it was, early enough you know that I saw it and I was like it just the light bulb went off first of all I was in awe of his establishment and it was packed and it was everything that you know we were already creating our own and taking fashion and remixing it Mm -hmm. and just um, making it something different because what we wanted didn't exist in the stores you know right so when i went and saw him and then i saw at that time we were wearing gucci and buying mcm and and fendi and all of this but he was taking it and doing something totally different with it and it was amazing to me so and then i was in awe that he was a 24 7 establishment so all of that he was he was 24 he was open 24-7. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It was. It was. And and so I just, I didn't do 24-7, but I, I immediately I was like, oh, there's no kind. If, you know, he, he, he created a model that I saw that it's possible that everything I learned about Dress for Success was a lie and that we could really... Mm-hmm 
really create and own our own magic and just express ourselves the way we wanted to and our tribe was there so so I immediately came home and you know made my living room a studio and started figuring it out I remember my patterns were made out of brown paper bags you know at first and yes. you know and I, and I I didn't know how to sew and I'm still not the best but I did know business I was going to college for business and communications and I came up under entrepreneur so I immediately started following success leaves clues so I, I followed Dapper Dan's blueprint in front in terms of uh, borrowing one or two of his tailors you know right. and then I stood outside of factories that were in New York and I would have an interpreter and I got a few great tailors and you know, they showed me what machines I needed to buy. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, I want to do leather. I want to do heavy denim. I want to do, you know, heavy, heavy fleece. I need something that can do it all. So I learned about jukies. I learned about industrial singers. Right. I learned about marrow machines and all of this through the greats, you know, through them because they were masters at their crafts. And anyway, reverse engineered the process. And once I did that, we just we knew we knew what we wanted because we were the tribe and then you know so everybody from airbrushes to graffiti artists to break dancers to everyone in hip-hop that was loving hip-hop my my first I started in the house but once I was busting at the seams in the house and I knew I couldn't really have people in my house so much I Mm -hmm. didn't feel good about that and I saw like we need a bigger place I got a store, 212 Green Avenue, which was like literally six blocks from my house at the time. And it was a diamond in the rough because Brooklyn was very different at that point. Yes. But I was right around the corner from the 88th Precinct. And and I made my own homemade sign. You know, we created, we went to Pearl Paints and we created Fashion in Effect. And Fashion in Effect was born in 1987. And, you know, we we had our own fashion couture house in Brooklyn. And we made everything from gowns to, to tuxedos to wow. uh, leather suits. Easter was huge for us, you know. And you would have everybody from blue-collar workers to white-collar to... Uh, celebrities started coming you know Brooklyn celebrities Sean Head shout out to Sean Head and Shaggy and one day Biggie came in and he was this he was this little kid that used to I used to see him at Washington Avenue coming out the train station he'd be out there with his crew as a teenager but one day I had an Eric B and Rakim shirt in the window that we airbrushed and he came in and, and struck up a conversation, and the rest was history. That's so that's amazing. Know. That's amazing, because it is like important to for those people who who didn't know Brooklyn at that time. I mean, I I didn't live in Brooklyn by any stretch. I was from right. London, but I remember my first trip to New York was in 1989. So you know how, it and was, it was right? yeah. My mm-hmm. aunt was living in Brooklyn, and that's where I stayed. And um, it's it's different. I mean, New York Way was different. different. You know, mm-hmm. the, that whole like mm-hmm. <laughs> so many parts of New York that right. you know, you, it's just so different. 
and that vibe and fashion effect and maybe because of shaggy mm-hmm. that i heard of it at that time right right but so so it it sounds like it took off really quickly it did it did it did and that was i think that was god's grace and timing you know and mm-hmm. and then the product uh, if the product didn't speak for itself people wouldn't have stuck around that's right. obvious but i have to say god's grace because I believe all our blessings flow from that. And uh, I also know that I wouldn't have made it without him because I didn't know what I was doing. I was 21, Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, you go to school for business, but, you know, real life is different than what you learn a lot. Um, So I... I hit I hit it out the door. You know, I made so many mistakes the first year and we still did about... I remember looking at the books at the end of the year. We did $88,000 our first what? year. And that was like unheard of. And that was like in 1980. Exactly. You know, so you know what that would be now. Yeah. And, and, and the, the bad thing about being young and not really understanding everything and the two, how money can work for you, you think that you when you start making it that early, you're like, oh, I got this. You know, I can do that later when that's the time to invest and that's right. the time to pull back and that. But, you know, lessons learned. But I remember, you know, with those mistakes, the one thing we did was get a team around us, you know, that all did different things. But mm-hmm. it was such a strong team at that time. It created a dream team. And we all came to that. We all wore hustle hats. Like everybody on my team was really good at hustling and putting together their resources collectively to build something that was bigger than just them or me. And that was how we grew. Right. And so when you, so tell us who you then worked with Mm -hmm. and how did that continue to grow and where did it grow to as the process started we started at fashion in effect and we started growing fast because brooklyn was word of mouth new york was word of mouth so it was like the best form of advertisement was when someone was wearing your product and Mm -hmm. then someone else would say where'd you get that right and they'd say you have to go see this girl in brooklyn so that was how the internet is now that was our internet word of mouth right and that built the best credibility because you're gonna if your friend shows you something and says this is the bomb you're gonna believe in that more than ad exactly and so that was our built-in marketing and it worked for us because we couldn't afford advertising. That was the fact of the matter. We couldn't. We didn't have ad- advertising dollars. All of this was a learning process, and we were going and building as we were going <laughs> day by day, literally. But you know, you look back and you're like, ah. So I came up under music, and early on, while I first was at Fashion and Effect. One day, Milk and Giz from the group Audio 2 came into my store. Mm-hmm. And Audio 2 now is um, that they have something called um, Top Billing, and that is the most um, the most sampled song in music right now. 
Oh, really? In history, you know, um, one of the most top, top three. And so they came in the shop that day and on the album, they wanted me to um, make outfits. And, and they asked me, can you do these custom outfits? And I said, yes. Fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> it worked out. God, God bless. You know, it worked out well. I've, I didn't know, but I did deliver. And they wore them on the album cover, the cover. And from that, I saw the power of product placement early. And I saw right. also like, oh, wow, this is another revenue stream that I can create. Mm-hmm. Because I was just creating clothes for like blue collar, white collar workers and then aspiring people in hip hop, meaning the culture at that time. That wasn't even really defined as a culture at exactly. that point. You know, it was just it's like so kids early days that was we're early talking. days, right? right? So I was just making clothes for my friends and their friends, basically. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about culture, it's all this was like, okay, this is another way we can pay bills, right? So and then at that time we have to realize the eighties was a magical time where you had athletes hanging out with correction officers and correction officers hanging out with hustlers. It was weird, but it was dope mm-hmm. in, in New York. It was it was it was like a mishmash of everything going on here. But that's what made it special. And and there was a lot of money in New York City on the streets, even though um, once crack got in, it all changed. But, right. You know, so that that was like. But this was going on during the change when I saw the change coming when crack was coming in and all these things. Yeah, and I knew crazy. like it got crazy. I was like, all right, I have to figure out how we flourish. How do we grow? And mm-hmm. so I think naturally at that time when I saw two things, I saw the revenue stream had to change because um, I mean, had to grow because you never want to be dependent on one source. Yes. Right? Because retail goes up and down. Absolutely. So this would be another way that I could really grow that out if I develop relationships within the music industry. Right. And I knew about that because my father came from music. My father, I grew up as a jazz baby, so like um, my father managed jazz groups very early on and jazz artists, so I'd wake up. You know, at the Blue Note or, you know, (laughs) you know, any of these places backstage as a kid like that was my norm. And then when my father started, he worked with Jackie McLean and Renee McLean and uh, Gary Bartz and McCoy Tynes. Like these are legends in, in jazz. And and then as I got older, he started managing jazz and Jay-Z and D-Train and all these people. So very early on, I had an edge because when I was 16, I'd be in Copacabana or Bonds International and Zanzibar, these places I had no business being in, but (laughs) I was with him, so I got a pass, you know? And so I saw the way people dress. I saw that lifestyle and... And it probably just soaked up and became part of my essence because of that. And so I also saw the way the music industry operated because I was around it so much. So when I got in fashion, I think part of my magic now in hindsight looking back was I wasn't trained in fashion. I didn't look at how I had to do it. I just trusted my instincts Mm -hmm. and saw like, no, 
there's a need for our serve to serve tribes that aren't being our needs aren't being met like hip-hop is a force to be reckoned with i believe in it the music is there but there's nothing for us there aren't any choices so i'm gonna create those choices and i'm gonna trust that and then once i saw them buying it they come in the store and ask us for the same things we were creating like if biggie would wear something or audio 2 or something they didn't know we made it and they'd come in the store and ask like can you make that so right. that was a confirmation for me that wow there's a need for that so listening to your customers that's a really good thing to do right because your customers will tell you what you're doing right or what you're missing and so and what you're doing wrong but you have to be you have to be willing to listen to hear that yeah you know so those are some of the things we did and then we took the music industry pages out of the music industry marketing book that weren't being there because once we started styling we started a styling division after milk because he gave me my first video job right after that cover i styled the video and Mm -hmm. once we styled the video we had to deal with the record company the management company the artists we saw that and that's a whole process in itself but we started from there we started like oh we're gonna do this too you know because those checks were different even early stage which by all means you guys i was an early pioneer with styling too because it, you know june ambrose wasn't around when i first started you know she was still interning at cross colors you know like yeah. so so yeah. you know it was a different world like and we were fighting for space because at that time artists weren't even having stylists so they had to fight for us to become the stylists because and then the the record companies would say well we'll pay you but you just use their wardrobe at home and i'm like what's the point no we need a budget for the artists too you know so those like that's the level i was on fighting to get artists what they wanted and to make sure that we implemented a vision that was passed just you know their regular wardrobe you know what i mean so um and so we did and we fought with them but i think um and we went hard with them and they went hard for us as a result and and we started growing in that lane as well so we started building out this styling division where we started styling like um, working with flavor unit who had queen latifah and naughty by nature and nikki d and all of these people that we became they became became our clients and then uh def jam which had um run dmc and ll cool j and um you know mm-hmm. um red man and eric sermon and you know epmd and um onyx and just the list uh goes on but it started, it's like a ripple effect, right? Because I think Jam Master J was one of the key people. Once he really went hard, Run DMC were rock stars in hip hop. Mm-hmm. And I remember I met him in a club and I, he said, well, who made that? I had on a gown. And he said, yeah, you're right, you know? And I said, no, really, I did. I gave him a card and the next day they called and said, do you want to style it was a video or a cover or something then like two weeks later and i was like yeah 
and that started and I started so styling good. them and custom working them but they opened the doors for Def Jam and that's how I met Russell and that's how I started right. working for all of that and then it was culture at that time Dave Chappelle and Hamburger and all these comedians they were trying to get on the map they weren't who they are now so Tracy Morgan all those guys that we would go to those comedy clubs and they didn't have anything to wear so who came through Walker where we built those relationships and that's how we grew yeah. you know relationships 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 if I could tell anybody about consistency and relationships that will get you more than halfway there and you've also so you were so in the relationship you're also building mm-hmm. an a new industry right the styling right because you're the one who who's campaigning for that vision being fulfilled. Absolutely. And so that's contributing to the growth with the artists. Because we're also product placing, right? Right. And it's like, we saw early on, so the motivation was to create another revenue stream, but also to break in that door of product placement because we saw the power of product placement mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, hardly, there wasn't product placement because we were the first, it was us and Carl Canine that were doing the product placement, like Yo! MTV Raps and all this stuff. Um, but it wasn't out there yet at all, that whole category yet. So we were getting away with a lot of product placement because the videos weren't blurring anything yet because we we were under the radar still you know what I mean so we were able to do a lot and then I met Ralph McDaniels from Video Music Box but he had Ralph does not get a lot of credit as a trailblazer but he was a true trailblazer in many facets and one of the ways was with his company Classic Concepts which was a partner, him and his partner, I'm blanking on his partner's name, but I love his partner too. <laughs> um, they had this company, Classic Concepts, which was responsible for like maybe 90 plus percent of the videos you know from back in the days. That was Classic wow. Concepts. So we started working with Classic Concepts and doing a lot of those videos too in the early days. And some of them I was able to product place and so that was nice because right. then we could create a check where we were custom making outfits, but then we were styling and we would get a separate styling fee as well, right? right? And a wardrobe budget. Nice. So that was really great. Mm-hmm. But then some of the videos were, I mean, some of the stuff was like no walk away in it. So you had to understand the lens of the artist and what they needed. Some just didn't fit, right. but we would make clothes. But we saw a product placement very early on and it helped us and and then i think that we were doing it so much so much and going so hard that it just the artists started wanting to wear it so i remember um when tupac was doing above the rim he called me and he was like i want you to make the clothes for above the rim and and um and of course, the the costume wardrobe was like the movie is not going to be all walker wear, but <laughs> I, I did get a few outfits in it, and they were like two of the main scenes. And so that camouflage outfit in there, and also there's a scene where he has like a hooked vest and the pants on, and that was us, and some hats and different things. He wanted as much of that product in there as possible, and I, 
and he wanted he he was really about black designers so i was able to get 5,001 flavors and i brought them to meet him and they got in the movie and so that's how that that went but yeah that is so listen i wanted to know i mean i could we it is so i can't even speak i'm speechless because you are you are like sharing like it's a time like it's really hard if you weren't if you're not if you're not old enough or that time was such a special time it right really number was. one the space in which it's happening as hip-hop like was born and then you know the innovation that's happening the related the connections that's happening the you know and it's so that whole like the newness of it all and the kind of like the growth in kind of um the a different kind of surge of acceptance of black artists in a different way that has come from a different background do you know what i mean that was really i think you said something key and that was connection and i think that Connecting is really fundamental to growth mm. for both people. And I think that in that magical time of creating and knowing, maybe we didn't know, we didn't surely didn't know that what was going to come, that it right. was going to be how big it was. Right. But we knew it was special, right? right? And we knew it was ours. And in the midst of all the chaos that was going on. Right. So we we really lifted each other up at that time. And I think authenticity was really important. So um, being fearless enough to go after it and to be um, true to yourself Mm -hmm. was such a respectable thing then. Yeah. That you honored that and you helped each other because of that. You know, it's like, okay, I see you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it it was special. And I think that, I think that, that was a big part of how we didn't just survive, but we thrived yeah. because we stayed true to our vision and we we believed in ourselves, but we also only worked with people we believed in. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. Wow. That was just part one, peeps. That was just part one. I am so thrown by how at such a young age april was able to follow her own instinct about what would serve her and i really feel like you know you know i think sometimes when you speak your truth the universe will listen and respond i really feel like the universe like listens and responded and then provided her with the answer that that said like you were on the right track you're doing exactly what you ought to be doing and then this beautiful kind of business evolves out of it and then she's having all these experiences and then these lessons and then really growth and the success that emerged so that's like a powerful life lesson for us all when we have our own insight in who we are and where what we ought to be up to and how we should live our life listen to that and respond to that and 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 what will come your way um is great 
you know so i can't wait for you to hear part two of this interview which will be out next week um let me know get in touch with me and let me know what you've got from this week's episode i mean and and i'll be excited to hear what you get from next week's episode uh so you know please get in touch and yes you know you can always contact me through my instagram you can dm me at shirley mcalpine or uh, go to shirleymcalpine.com forward slash contact me on my site and send me some messages there or there's always facebook she's got drive uh facebook page as well She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>